Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey. And I'm Danielle. Yay. Up top, I want to make sure to mention the raffle. Oh, my God. On the Mike Mignola's Facebook art page, there is a very buff holiday raffle. Craig McKnight writes, as many of you know, we recently lost a member of our little community, Case Lajerwai, to cancer. He was passionate about the Mignolaverse, posting lengthy comments, making the word buff common terminology. Shortly after Case passed away, John Rogers, a long-standing president of the San Diego Comic-Con, lost his battle with cancer. I knew him and told his wife I would include a foundation she had recommended. The proceeds from this raffle will be donated to the V Foundation for Cancer Research for 75% of the proceeds and the American Brain Tumor Association for the other 25% of the proceeds. Okay, so here are the prizes. A sketch by Mike Mignola of Hellboy. So that by itself is already awesome. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, Lawrence Campbell prize package, which includes two prints, two signed comics, and a Mignolaverse character sketch of your choice. Wow. A James Heron sketch, two signed prints from Duncan Fagredo, a Fairboyles production 1A scale Hellboy statue, Skeleton Crew studio pin lot, the Art of My Mignola prints that are signed by Mignola and Dave Stewart, We've also got in there the San Diego Comic-Con 2007 Hellboy movie poster, the 2018 New York City Comic-Con Mignolaverse print, an Amazing Screw on Head poster, uh, Nextman 21, the first appearance of Hellboy, and an early issue comic lot, and then there's also the Funko Pops, and a ticket is just $5, so imagine like if you just paid $5 and you won like some of this stuff, so you really got to get in there, um, there's no purchase limit, so... A very special thank you to Mike and Christine Mignola, Lawrence Campbell, James Heron, Duncan Fregredo, Chris Dale, Fairboyles, Israel Skelton, Mark Weiss, Ryan Uhl, and Craig McKnight. They all donated um, all those really awesome fantastic. prices. Yeah, it's wow. really great. So I'm really excited about it's that. Really, I'm going to really throw cool. some money at that, and you should too. So, That's you know, exciting. everybody's like, uh, I don't really get on Facebook, you know. Sure, yeah. I would make an account on Facebook just to enter in this raffle. Uh, it is it is so awesome. Go so get on the there. And everything. And I think Case would be proud of uh, this little community here. Yeah. Who's, who's putting this on again? Craig McKnight. Craig McKnight. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, He's Craig. He's really awesome. Man, so, that, that, that prize list is just, I mean, any one of those would be like, you know, yes. it's just amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. This uh, this epic haul is amazing. So make sure to buy some raffle tickets. Go check that out. You can enter until the end of the month. Don't forget to check out our partners at Mignolaverse.com. They scored a great interview with Chris Roberson, who is writing the current Hellboy in the BPRD 1956 stories. They also have great articles on In the Chapel of Moloch and Wake the Devil, which we've talked about on the podcast. So you can go check those out. They've got some really great writers over there. Lastly, I want to ask to give us some reviews. If you've been enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate it if you could give us a review. A lot of our listeners are on iTunes, so just open up the app and find our page. If you could give us five stars or write something nice, it really helps us out and helps us grow the show. So give us a review already. Now we're going to talk about some listener feedback. Duwap Apocalypse is a new listener on Instagram. <laughs> And he heard about us on Chromecast, which is a Robert E. Howard weird fiction podcast. Hmm. And so I was checking them out. They have a really cool show over there. And so thanks, Chromecast, for plugging our show. Hey, hey, guys. That's pretty awesome. I have to check them out. Thanks for that. On the Chromecast, uh, they drink beer when they're talking. Sure. And they talk about what beer they're drinking. And so I thought that, you know, we could talk <laughs> about 
because it's uh we're recording on a different day we're recording on saturday night oh uh, yeah yeah it's a little bit out of schedule for us but we're enjoying some beer i'm enjoying a, a houston brewery carbox staycation session ale what are you drinking over there aubrey i am also drinking a houston beer uh dome foam eighth wonder yummy yes, yummy that's a good one i stole it out of your fridge <laughs> let me have some of that give me a sip of this you like how you were like oh do you want a beer and i was like no and now i'm drinking everyone's <laughs> yes. beers that's what you do. That's it's your favorite thing. <laughs> it's your favorite thing about me. Last week, we talked about seeing Mignolo's art style for the first time. And um, in some of his early comics, Drew Campbell said that he was also into the Rob Liefeld X4 stuff back in the 90s. I won't lie. I still follow Cable, he says. And was also a little unsure of how I felt about Mignolo's style when first encountered. But I got an issue of Fawford and the Grey Mauser. And I have that trade. It's some early Mignola pencils in a comic book grab bag. And I think that was when his art started growing on me. I also love the Coppola Dracula movie. So by default, I dug Mike's comic book adaptation. By the time I really discovered Hellboy, everything about the art and subject matter just clicked perfectly into place. I agree with Aubrey that the wrong coloring style totally screws up the effect of Mike's work. And a lot of the coloring on his work for Marvel and DC in the late 80s and early 90s was just terrible. <laughs> we are so lucky to have Dave Stewart providing the perfect colors for most yes, of Hellboy's Dave existence. Yeah, Stewart is amazing. Yeah, so I was actually thinking a little bit that after uh, we recorded last week. Wouldn't you just love to see Dave Stewart recolor some of these old uh, mm, yeah. DC and Marvel co- covers he's done? Yeah, there's, um, there's this Wolverine and Cable. Have you ever seen this Wolverine and Cable picture that Mignola did? It's really popular. They it gets posted a lot. Although we're probably. not trying to bash the colorist who did that, right? Issue. No, like no, it's just no. a different style. And, and it was I, also a Dave different... Stewart's style goes really well with Manuel's right. style. It was also a different style of um, printing as well, too. Yeah, more of that whole yeah, four color stuff, right? For but sure. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not trying to diss. No, absolutely. I was just clarifying for whoever's listening to this. Like, we're not, <laughs> that color is totally fucking sucks. Right. Well, they're using that image. Marvel's using that image. It's a 90s image yeah. that Mignola did. They're using it in a current thing that's about to come out. Mm-hmm. And I was reading that when they asked Mignola if he could, if they could use it, he said, yes, but you have to get Dave Stewart. You have to, to color get Dave it. Stewart. Exactly. So it's going to yeah. be colored oh. by Dave Stewart, the cover of this thing. That's yeah. Awesome. Which is kind of neat. Man, that's Wow. He's just always really got the subtlety of what Mignola's doing, and it's just a different style. So I think that's great. That's a that's an A-plus reaction, yeah. I think. We have some feedback on the Black Flame. Ryan Rollinson said, I'm going to Professor O'Donnell for a second about Roger's room in the BPRD headquarters yes. <laughs> as seen in the Black Flame storyline. He has all those objects hanging from the ceiling, the magpie menagerie, as Danielle called it. I'm sure the artists behind the idea were seeing it as a reflection of Roger's childlike nature, but I've been brooding about it since your podcast. He collected these simple, mundane things and elevated them, literally and figuratively, to a place where they could be appreciated. I like to think that after being hung by chain himself by the frog monster girl in Crab Point, he sees himself like these little trinkets. He, too, could have been simply an object. He was revived because he has worth and value and humanity. It has that dark, sweet combination that seems to surround Roger. Interesting. I know this was not likely the intention of the creators, but what's a book club for, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I really like that. For yeah. sure. Oh, I like yeah. thinking about what that. You, what you read into it. And um, yeah, I like talking about stuff like that for sure. So we had some feedback on the Universal Machine, which we read last week. When I posted the teaser image, Mark Tweedell, he said, gotta love that cover for number five, which has Kate on the yeah. cover. It has the Mignola Kate. So good. Nathaniel Green said, this is one of the best. Chris C. Palmer on Instagram said that it was his favorite story and he was really excited for it. Chopper Johnson said, this is a content warning for Danielle. So the first thing he said was, maybe you don't want to hear this. So maybe you don't want to hear oh, this. Oh, no. Yeah. No. 
do you want to okay. hear? Um, he said that when they were poking that little bird, that that is a reference to the practice of eating French gourmands, orderlon buntings that have been drowned in brandy, which is something that I actually did read about. You can look it up all on Wikipedia, but that was something that they did. So Yeah, so about that scene, though, it made me actually kind of reminded me of this one scene in uh, The Dark Tower. I can't remember which book. That was one of the last books huh. where uh, one of the characters ends up in this room where a bunch of like vampires are just like eating I think they're eating people, but you know, okay. But that whole setup of it was like it reminded that huh. that scene reminded me right. of that a little bit. I think that's better. Second, everyone is rightly slamming the marquee for thinking of Roger and Abe as trophies. The things he needs to acquire to complete his collection. But is this substantially different than how some members of the BPRD have viewed them, especially Manning and his dissection happy scientists? While tools might be a more appropriate description than trophies, the sentiment doesn't feel much different. Yeah. 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 Anyway, another great episode. Thanks for the pickup on the silverware. I never caught that detail. That's a great bit of foreshadowing where we noticed that... Um, one of the silverware is missing. Yeah, one of the yeah. silverware is missing. Jen Niklas said, important stuff first. I don't say this often enough, but I love how you guys can talk about little things like the gang meeting in the lunchroom or Liz and Daimyo acting like two very angry siblings. <laughs> it helps to make the characters even more alive because I finally hear people talking about them and I'm nodding and laughing with you. Still sad that it's only a recording, but after 14 years of being the only one that likes Hellboy, I'm happy with what I get. Yeah, and that's how I started a podcast because I felt like that for so long. But yeah, but well, and you had uh, come across this awesome community on Facebook and whatever, and that's that's all part. Of, like, yeah, we're recording it today, but we're we're having a conversation with you, kind of. And yeah, we all get together. I feel like I get to know on the all internet and talk yes. about it. So it's 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 yeah. it is a book club in that way. It's kind of a different way of doing a book club than it's been done in the past, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I think it's still uh, it still holds up. Yeah, it does. Okay, y'all have these tasty beers, and no, I want one. I'm going to go get one. He says, this is a long and depressing year, more dreadful than stressful, but you guys cheer me up. Thank you. Have a hug if it's okay. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that, man, but I'm happy that we can like all get together and hang out. Everybody's got like stressful stuff going on. Yep. But he says, okay, back to the fun stuff. I think that the marquee fits to the discussion of the last podcast. Because he basically is the condescending gatekeeper that bays in the perceived support su that <clears throat> that bays in his perceived superiority and gets bested for it. Last week we had talked about this kind of behavior a little bit, and Jan Nikla says it's important to let it go, which was one of the most important themes of the Hellboy verse and the writers of the show. How destructible this can be. Where was I? Oh yeah, the Universal Machine. I was so proud of Kate, the woman you want to date. Sadly, I'm too young for her. <laughs> Settle down and talk about all the obscure stuff she loves. She also shows that the others may be powerhouses, but she's the brains of the operation. Without Kate, the whole organization would fall apart. Yeah, the absolutely. Yeah. He says, Daimyo's reactions remind me a bit of my grandfather. If he doesn't know how to handle things, meaning all the time, he just gets angry. It says so much about his character that he's unable to communicate his feelings otherwise. There's a good, well, not as cranky as he acts person under all that anger. But you can really see how he struggles with himself. Abe is the same when you consider how he distracts everyone with another story. He can't let go of an idea that he wants to be true because it's easier to wallow in his past than letting go and accepting that he's a fish man or open to the others <laughs> because he's afraid of it. And buddy, if this is about you being lonely, it's the 21st century. You will find somebody. See Shape of Water. 
And then there's <laughs> Johan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, fi- I finally saw that. And he so said, um, and then there's Johan. Oh, boy, Johan. When Liz said it was sweet, I was like, what? No, fuck no. It's creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird. Why are you putting yeah. those words into her mouth, Arcudi? This was a story where I started to dislike Johan. Because he's worse than the ghoul Hellboy is beaten to death. This is a man that has a crush on a dead woman that wants to move on and he's torturing her. Basically preying on her just because he thinks she's lovely. Uh, mostly on Daimyo's side. This well, has... he And he openly admitted it and he, that's not something that's he true, had yeah. to tell anyone. They would never have found out about that, probably. Yeah, that's but a very he, yeah. That's a good point. Like, why wa- would he, you pick that to he's tell? He's opening people? up. Well, I think it, that says a lot about Johan today, sure. and like how he has learned and grown and recognized his horrible behavior and and decided, you know what, I'm going to be honest with these people and open myself up to them and you know show them. I don't know. He's I I, I found that really. Um, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, that he I would, like that. I think it brings it brings them a little closer together. Yeah, and that's it's it's nice that he would. He's really trust showing, them with that. Yeah. While it obviously was a horrible thing that he did, you know. He's really showing them yeah. all of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, this may be the best book in the whole first series. It might not bring the plot forward, but it brings the characters closer to us and gives us a good idea how they tick, even if we don't want to know. And I'm looking at you, you Bavarian bag of creepy plasma. <laughs> I really like that. And then he said, some of his music suggestions, he said, Liz is a metalhead, ah. power metal and black metal, Abe classics, Kate techno, Johan rap, Roger, original soundtrack of cartoons from the 80s, Daimyo country. What? Um, so I thought those were pretty good. Those were pretty entertaining <laughs> ideas. Uh, hey, hey, don't knock the, the 80s cartoons. So. I know, right? Those are pretty good. I actually... Interesting, uh... I actually have the score to Transformers the movie. Not the soundtrack. I mean, who doesn't though? <laughs> no, I mean, I don't have the soundtrack. I have the actual score. Right. Yeah. 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 Who is who is the artist on that? Do you remember? Vince Ticola. Yeah. Drew Campbell said that this storyline was when I really first saw Kate as an incredible character that she is. Not that I didn't like her before, but this story really lets you see what a badass she is. The other main characters have all kind of enhanced abilities, but here's Kate handling some pretty crazy shit with just her wits and intelligence. Add to all that, all the examples we've already seen of her, compassion and strong leadership, and you got one of the best characters ever created. Not to excuse Daimyo's treatment of Liz after she tells her story, but I think given his background and personality, he probably thinks he's helping her. We've probably gotten indications that he does care about his teammates. But he seems like the type of person who believes in tough love. For whatever reason, he thinks she's avoiding dealing with her past, and this is his way of trying to make her face it. Like I said, it's no excuse, but I think he's not just being an asshole for the sake of being an asshole. I thought that was an interesting point. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. and to, to make characters that don't all act the same is, <laughs> I mean, he's some excellent writing. I know that seems yeah. like something that you would take for granted, but uh, it's interesting that some of these characters make terrible fucking choices. Mm-hmm. And that's, they're still, they still have to be a team. Right. And to see them interact, it's like, yeah, I mean, who amongst us hasn't been a dick and within their own group of friends sure. from time to time yeah. saying exactly the wrong thing at exactly the right time? I like that. It also makes them feel a little more real, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's just how real people are. Yeah. 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 He like also- Aubrey here is a fucking nerd. You know, <laughs> some people are just like that. <laughs> it's interesting (laughs) sorry (laughs) he also says it's interesting that marchosius is described as having the wings of a griffin wouldn't that just mean he has the wings of an eagle 
right? Because a griffin has eagle wings. (laughs) (laughs) Also, yeah, he was probably lying about being a prince of hell, considering his name basically literally means marquee. Yeah. Like you said, the ending with Roger is not what fans wanted, but I would go further to say that it is so much better than what the fans wanted. If he had been brought back to life, sure, it would have been great to have him back in the story, but the ending gives him so much more meaning, yeah. while allowing him to feel and be perceived as human, which is all he ever wanted. I also love that he now seems to be free from being a personality sponge, and he's truly able to be himself, perhaps for the first time. Yeah, I really like that. We were talking to uh, Ross Radke on Twitter, and he was saying, I think we need to talk about Liz Sherman, because in a lot of ways, her history is at least established in the comics. Hmm. Sort of a random comment, but I took the flashback with Liz's brother telling her not to say geez a little differently. I had a fairly strong conservative Christian upbringing and wasn't allowed to say geez because it was short slang for Jesus, which is taking the Lord's name in vain. And I didn't think about that. Yeah, but she wears creepers. She wears that cross. You know what I mean? So that would totally make sense. I didn't. I yeah, never so thought I, about that, yeah, I never I thought guess. about that. I like that. I like that. And um, that's probably exactly what they were referring to there. Interesting. Wow. And he said he was also curious if she's a redhead or a brunette because sometimes they they draw her a little a little different every time, right? Well, I mean, sometimes you can be in the middle there. What do they call that? Auburn. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Light makes it look different in different places. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were talking about all the cool stuff in the marquee's room and there was this horse thing remember and jerry said it might have been a unicorn and so i went back to look at it i didn't see a horn but it was like it it was like going this way yeah okay it was like a gazelle only with one of them yeah sure i'll say have you ever seen that before that's cool is that like a way of a unicorn's being depicted sometimes i guess sure there was that weird hydra looking thing with wings and Danny Boy 4 on Twitter said, Hydra reminded me of the creatures from Mountain of Madness by Lovecraft on first glance, to be honest. Uh, okay. The Elder sure. One things, yeah. I and wouldn't I, be surprised. And I found one, a really cool one on Twitter um, that I posted that really looked like that. So I really like that interpretation, yeah, absolutely. too. absolutely. For sure. Tom Hardman said, those birds around the jaguar god could be a reference to the released souls at the end of the third wish. Remember how they all turned into little birds? Interesting. I like that. Yeah. Adds an extra layer to the creature or spirit, whatever it may be, that is surrounded by the remnants of so much death. Sure. And then I had posted the jaguar god in the original design, which was pretty trippy. At the Griffin 88 said that she preferred the final design, and I, I think we all do. Yeah, that's good. And Ray Carmisi on Twitter said, Mastodon times Mike Mignola. <laughs> Tom Hardman said, also in Wendigo Serendipity, the Marvel version that apparently rocked up in the Hulk stories was created by Herb Trempe, notable for contributing to the most lovingly rendered Rogers butt so far. <laughs> Kevin Alford also said, Mike used to draw Alpha Flight, right? So technically, we've seen him do a different Wendigo also. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, nice. That's pretty cool. Thank you for connecting those dots for me. And I posted... Um, hey, uh, John, you got to post uh, one of your famous Instagram... Collage. Collages with a bunch of Rogers butts. Oh, yes. I will do that. Okay, that's my request. You got it. All right. This week, watch out for it. Look out for that <laughs> post. Look out for that content. <laughs> Carefully curated butt content. Yes, you got it, dude. <laughs> that's quality. That's quality content. I posted... Uh, <laughs> 
I posted about the Solomon's rings. Yeah. Where Kate cuts off the Marquis's finger, and Ryan Bolton said, Kate's giving him the finger. Ah, oh, that was great. Good. Some Universal Machine, something that I forgot to talk about. Man, I had this whole idea that I was going to talk about at the end of the Universal Machine, where we get that scene with Mignola's Roger right. and all that kind of stuff. And then I totally forgot to oh, talk no. about it. So I was thinking about how Roger, he's like, he is, is he the Universal Machine? Like, yeah. because he's, he's just made of natural stuff, but electricity gives him, it sure, powers yeah. him. You know what I mean? And I started thinking about that and I was like, it's really a miracle that he ever got life, yeah. you know, that he could ever be created. Like, is there anything like that? Like, I've never, I don't know a lot of fiction where I've heard of something coming to life with electricity that doesn't have any kind of mechanics in it at all where it's right. just like made of just earth and just organic a frankenstein nobody yeah. correct me <laughs> i was gonna say pinocchio yeah oh okay you're right you're right oh yeah he is kind of like a is is that but is, it, is, is it, pinocchio a I thought he was a like, uh golem story i mean well he's, I mean, he's like a, a puppet right yeah or yeah but is it like a anyway I mean, could it be considered a golem story? Because he's a—he's kind of—he's a wooden puppet. He's kind of a golem. Hmm. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. that. And he's trying to become a real boy. Yeah, he's yeah. trying to be a real boy. Yeah, that's really good. I don't know. Anyway, I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about—I don't know. For some reason, it made me think about Roger in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And um, I—I I just think like they talk about how he's the perfect—he was the perfect specimen. You know, he really was. You know, yeah. he really was like. A miracle creation. So anyway, just something I was thinking about. I, I think um, about his connection to Liz a lot. Yeah. Like that's that's significant. And like what is the fire even? Like it's very – I think about that a lot. So I, I can't even wrap my head around what it is that makes that so significant for me. So, But if I figure that out, I'll share it for sure. But it's very, it's a very huge concept yeah. to me right now. It's very, like, kind of overwhelming. Like, I can't even wrap my brain around their connection. But I know that it's, it's um, there's something there. Right. So it's... I'm glad that you're thinking about that. Yeah. So that'll... Oh, okay. That'll be something good. Oh, good. All right. Good then. I was talking to Eric Stafford on Facebook. He said, hey, guys, I've only recently started listening to your podcast as a friend sent it to me last week. But as a fellow Hellboy fan, I love what you're doing, which is a variation of what I do with a particular group of friends over beer on any given weeknight. Oh, fun. Anyway, this past summer, I made a Troll Witch animation that I hope you'd appreciate. Here's the link. And he sent me this. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, you we showed watching that to that. me. Yeah. Have you seen that, Aubrey? Great. Oh, yeah. No, I actually get the same thing. So I, I read through that and saw That's that. Great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was really cool. Uh, so I'm going to post that if in case you haven't seen it. I'll post it on Facebook. Um, or you could just Google Hellboy the Troll Witch. It's really cool. It's a really awesome animation. I really enjoyed it. It was. Uh, I love the voice acting on it, too. I thought yeah, they the did a really good job. Yeah, the voice acting was really good. Yeah, it was, it was, it was stellar work. Yeah, and I, I mean, um, for just a guy doing that, it didn't take long at all i would say like what four months he said it took four months yeah that's not very long for just like one guy to be working on that i mean obviously every the people who provided like the voice working on that but i mean to animate all that by yourself is that's quite an accomplishment it looks great and um, while it is a different interpretation than what the original art was i thought it was really creative yeah good agreed yeah i thought it was uh, just, just phenomenally well done yeah, I was really impressed I'm by gonna it. I'm going to grill him about how he did it. Like it's very. <laughs> I, I I think they should hire him to do more 
Hellboy animations. Yeah. More little short stories, I'd too. I'd like them to do a video for our band. That would be good. That'd be rad. All right. So we're going to get into our book club discussion for the week. We're going to talk about Garden of Souls. This was published as a five-issue miniseries from March to July 2007. We open on an invitation. Lord Minborough at home, a mummy from Thebes to be unrolled half past six, November 24th in the Baywater house. I don't like that off the bat. Right. That's fucking uncool. That's weird, Do right? Do not fuck with that shit. It should be just like kind of left where it fucking is, honestly. Like, I, but that's a whole discussion right. for another time. If I'll, you know, I'll take that discussion off the air, but like, don't fucking do that. <laughs> and just real quick, Thebes, known to the ancient Egyptians as Waset, was an ancient Egyptian city located east of the Nile, about 800 kilometers from the south of the Mediterranean. We're in London, November 1859, and it seems like we're observing Call and all his weird friends. Yeah, I we love them. <laughs> we saw them in a flashback death dream at the end of Plague of Frogs. As they talk, a colleague introduces Call to Sunborn, who says, You've been with the society for so long, yet this is our first meeting. And they scoff as this long-haired gentleman, uh, this guy, mustache man, enters. Sharing his face here after his behavior. Yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. I like his robe and his cane. <laughs> yes, they talk about how he is the former curator of the historical society's Egyptology wing, and he is how Minborough is able to host these unrolling parties. During the 19th century, Victorian elites were swept with Egypt mania. At the time, European architecture borrowed from Egyptian elements. Companies employed Egyptian visual cues in marketing, and Egypt itself saw a boom in tourism. So these unrolling parties were a thing that they actually did do. Ugh, awful. And you can read all about that if you Google that. There are plenty of articles about it. I mean, I, I obviously... I. I want to learn about different civilizations right. and I, I like all the uh, fucking anthropological angle of it. it's great, but like, do not fucking do this. <laughs> this is awful. This is not anthropology. This is like destroying. This is like entertainment. Yeah. And I mean, in, in her culture, wouldn't that, that would fuck up her shit in the afterlife, right? No, or I, th something. I think so. Cause I mean, and then you think about it, I mean, that whole ceremony to go really through it. Disrespectful. And then, yeah to whatever original culture that they pillaged or right. plundered. But I mean, no, I agree with you on the anthropology yeah, aspect. Of course of everyone wants to learn about mummies. It's fucking cool. But yeah. like, leave them there. Like, yeah. Don't fuck yeah. them up. Yeah. Anyway. As the hosts get ready to start the ceremony, they mention that there is a change from the usual ceremony. The unrolling privilege was given to guest Adam Glaren. I just now realize those are the same scissors for later. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Oh, yeah. When we get to it. So that's where the bloody heretic's been hiding, Sunborn says to call. Clarence starts the process, but soon goes straight to unwrapping the face. As I reveal to you the very face of the past, Clarence says, if it remains as unravaged by time as the rest of the body, we shall be in for an especial treat. As Clarence uncovers the face, and he uncovers the eyes, we see them open bright green. What do you think about that? Yeah, mummies. See, that's sure. why you don't fuck with mummies. <laughs> we cut to March 2006 in Balikpapan, Indonesia. He meets with an Indonesian local, and we learn that Mari is looking for a large plot of land to buy. Balikpapan is a port city on the island of Borneo in Indonesia. 
and we get this funny moment with the car, yeah, right? Great. Yeah. So obviously he's this um he's a really tall guy. He's like really broad. He's, he's almost a Hulk. Look yeah. At him. I mean, I think he's actually literally bigger than that car. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. If he were to like turn sideways, he'd still be bigger. That's adorable. <laughs> and he's sharply dressed and he's like filing his fingernails and all this stuff. As Mari waits for a taxi, he notices a newspaper. The headline reads, Monster Cleanup in Full Swing in Nebraska. Government agency revealed. And we see a picture of a press conference with Daimyo and Abe. Oh, shit. I would love to go to this press conference. Yeah. Like, can you imagine that? Jeez. Like, And then so that makes me think, like, everybody must know about them. Like, imagine you're watching TV and you see this giant monster and then next you see yeah. a press conference with a guy with half of his face torn off and a fish man. Yeah. And that's just like national TV. Like, and people are like yelling their questions. Why are you a fish man? <laughs> Stuff like that. Anyway, I would like to go to that press conference. Yeah. I mean, they're already used to like Hellboy. I mean, it's not like they're a secret, are they? I don't know. It Aren't says because it, it says that the agency has been revealed. It says government agency revealed. Weird. So maybe I don't know. Um, it, it's weird, weird, it's, weird. It's interesting. It's in, it's just interesting to think about. See, I always thought that they were like a known because like people always seem to know who Hellboy yeah. is, and they always yes. the BPRD just shows up everywhere. Um, Maybe it was like revealed as in like the whole they were keeping the whole frog monster thing a secret, oh, okay. and Maybe. the whole yeah. the whole thing about apocalypse and all that shit. Oh, right. They were they weren't really letting people know about that part. Sure. <laughs> Outside the bureau headquarters in Colorado, Liz and Abe visit the grave of Archie Stanton. By the inscription, we can tell from the tearjerker ending of the Universal Machine that this is where Roger was buried. Abe thinks it's sad that they can't use Roger's name or that they've buried him in this weird location, 7,000 feet above sea level. But Liz, and she's in her jaunty beret uh, Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, Liz's jaunty beret is back. Love it. She says that it's there to and, throw uh, body snatchers off. So sorry, but like, uh, I'm looking at the color here. I, I can't help but note that one could maybe consider it, possibly consider it, a raspberry hue. Ah, just okay. throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. She says that um, they have to bury oh, Roger. I just got that. <laughs> Sorry, John is trying. What? We just keep interrupting you. No, that's okay. Aubrey just got my joke. What was it about the? I didn't get it then. It's a Prince song. Oh, okay. Oh, Raspberry Beret. Yeah, <laughs> I get it now. Anyway. Anyways. Uh, Liz says that it, he has to be buried in this way to throw body snatchers off, especially after the Marquis reached across 500 years to try and get him. A hike up a hill isn't much of an obstacle compared to that, Liz says. The lady, she makes her point, Abe says. What, what is, Liz asks? What is his deal? What is that weird I'm getting comment? so tired. <laughs> he's so annoying with these ridiculous affectations. It's, he's a bit much at this point for me. Liz asks Abe what happened in Rhode Island. She figured he would tell her eventually. Abe says it goes back to a time before there was even a me. Of all the things I've seen and felt in recent months, I'm unsure how much of it I believe. How much I want to believe. Does that sound mad to you? No, not to me, Liz says. And she remembers that vision of Shanshin that we saw at yeah. the end of the Black Flame. Abe is kind of acting like he's the only guy that something weird has happened to him. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but... Your fucking teammates also have had tons of weird shit happen to them. Why don't you chill the fuck out? Right. And right. also, he's obsessed with like this is something we were we were talking about before we even started recording. He's obsessed <laughs> with 
He's obsessed with um the thing. Oh, I used to be a guy named Call. Like, okay, sure, but you also used to be like some sort of a water god spirit or yeah. something. Why aren't you obsessed with that? I would be obsessed with that. Right. Like, yeah, I used to be some sort of weirdo guy who was kind of not great. Or I used to be a weird water spirit. Like, I would yeah. be obsessed with that, invest- investigating that. Why isn't he... He's That's he's just point. moping around how he was this guy, but like you were also something really weird and cool and unexplainable. I don't know. No, I mean he really is focusing on the most mundane aspect yeah. of that whole vision. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. He's, he's really, all like yeah. Ooh, fish orb god thing. Wait. Who's this white guy? Who's this? Yeah. <laughs> it's he's really burying the lead in his own origin story. Uh and we're all sitting there, but what about the yeah, fish guy? Yeah, I really am more interested in this weird water spirit stuff, so whatever. Anyway. Good, good. In Daimyo's room, he's treated by his healer that we also saw in the Black Flame. Daimyo is in a similar setup, but instead of the cupping therapy, he has some kind of acupuncture going on. Yeah, I guess right? so. Although it looks a little bit more severe than acupuncture. Yeah, because they're gigantic, and yeah. I think that, anyway, yeah, it looks a little... Well, and so... At this point, at the bottom of the page where this guy is pulling out this sword? Yeah, he's like, you're going to have to try harder than that. I can feel it. Yeah. I'm, this It's getting very intense. And th- I noticed this guy is always smiling. Yeah. He's always smiling. It's great. And every, every time they show him. And so, yeah, he unsheathes this golden sword. What are these flames that are coming from nowhere? Oh, yeah. Everywhere. Like... It's magic, right? It's yeah. like this guy's magic for sure. Sure. When he pulls out the sword, it was a little I was like, What's he gonna do? Oh no. Yeah, and so this is a really weird scene. Daimyo's like grunting out in pain and he's looking at that monkey in the no mask. And as he kind of I don't like that. We we <laughs> yeah. Really we focus in on the no mask monkey and Daimyo's shaken by this. It says good boy. Yeah, because it's horrible. <laughs> Who wouldn't be shaken? What the fuck is this? Who's we, Daimyo asks. There's you, right? And me? And then there's, well, you know. You're dead. You can't talk, Daimyo tells the monkey. And the monkey breaks out of his jar and holds a gun. Funny that coming from you, I mean, it says. And Daimyo struggles on the floor. He's having he's having like this hallucination within this treatment. You know what I mean? Like the treatment is going on, sure, but then yeah. he's kind of like having this weird vision or something's going on. Well, I thought it was like a, a pain-induced vision right. thing, you know? These kind of things sticking out of him remind me of this the Jaguar head things. Right. Yeah, it had those weird things coming out of it. He sees Bennett dead as he did in the Universal Machine, and we see those acupuncture needles are these giant spikes, and they're kind of running through his whole body, too. Yeah. They're running through the other side. I like the little background here oh i didn't even notice that the first time it's like a dragon yeah endless dragon that is really cool wow and the monkey's gun gets closer and closer to daimyo's head and it's gold which is the same color as the sword oh yeah good job i don't know if that's even significant i just i never noticed that but i'm sure aesthetic of it for sure this this weird this super weird sword has all these like writing and it's yeah it's just yeah and so daimyo snaps out of it and his therapist or whatever he wipes blood from the sword we are done he says as he puts it back in the in the thing that was a what did you think of that scene 
is he I don't know what's going on. Is and you see cu- Daimyo's got like a big bandage is on his back. Is he cutting the stuff off? He's cutting those off. Is he like a jaguar god now? I don't understand what's going on. I like that. I don't know. I that's I don't really understand what's going on in this scene, but that's okay because mysteries are fun and good. Yes. So. Well, I always think uh, one of my favorite things, you know, I always wonder like um I'm sure John Arcudi does a lot of the writing, but I wonder like specific things like when the Jaguar God says, your life is old, leave it. Yeah. Or something like that. Your soul say, is old, leave it. Yeah. Um, yeah that take was... your life or something Ta- like yeah. that. Yeah. I really like all that. That's one of my favorite. That's some of my favorite dialogue and I can't even remember it anyway. No, it's great. No, that wasn't. I agree. It was an excellent uh, little bit of dialogue there. I really like that a lot too. And we cut over to this nature scene. And we see these weird animals. What do you think of these weirdo? Uh, I love them. I love the eel bird. <laughs> yeah, there's like an eel bird and then this like, it's like a tiger monkey, I think. I mean, I don't like how they got that way. Obviously, this right. is like whatever the island of Dr. Monroe, some <laughs> bullshit going on, which is terrible and mean and it's not good to do to animals. But I think um, visually it's cool looking. Yeah. A large robotic foot clamps down and we reveal this Victorian robot. Looks similar to the Victorian submarine we saw at the end of Plague of Frogs. Yeah, super cool. And the robot pets and feeds this tiger monkey. Super cool. Back in Colorado, Johan almost hits Abe with this forklift. (laughs) This is is a super cute page. I love just the... Just the visual gag of Johan in a pair of, like, overalls (laughs) driving this thing is super cute. Johan says he's taking the opportunity of this lull to research the sub-basement where Ice was. Not all was destroyed when Ice was killed in the BPRD story, The Dead. And we're getting references to all the stories. Like, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. Have you noticed, like, it's building on everything that we've been kind of reading? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I can't get over how he honks this little... Yeah. I can hear that panel. He's... Me, me. That's really good. Johan is using the forklift because some of the material he's gained is heavy. And no one has offered to help. Ah, but you have never seen the sub for sub-basement. Maybe I can persuade you? <laughs> Forgive my bluntness, Johan, but I find myself very much disinclined to play the substitute for a forklift. Uh. But there will be much more than that. <laughs> Johan's like, no, there's going to be more than that. I'm certain of that, nevertheless. Just say, I don't want to do that shit. I don't understand why you got to do all this. It's just ridiculous, overworked prose. And Johan's like, well, perhaps someday I can get you down there. Oh, I almost forgot. You have a delivery. I love Johan. I just like the he's he's just one big visual gag yeah. all the time. It's really really cool. But yeah, no, I have to agree with you. I mean, the way that he just like dismissed uh, Johan's request for help. It was whatever. very rude. Yeah, he could have just yeah, you're right. He could have just said no. Yeah, of being all this right. weird affectation. Yeah. He, he takes a hundred words to say one fucking thing. Like, all right, dude, we get it. You're sad. <laughs> you're sad, and you want to make other people sad too he's just an emo kid at this point i'm just over it and so we have this scene where there's an unsuccessful kind of trying to hang out and then here we get a scene where there's a successful trying to hang out i love this scene where they're it's (laughs) over in kate's room it's super cute yeah liz asks kate how her arm is she was injured at the end of the universal machine Liz starts to walk away, but she hesitates. And I love this one oh, panel wonderful. At, the, at the very yeah, end of 163. She's, she's yeah. like, oh, okay, well, hey, how's it going? All right, well, I guess I'll go. And then she kind of stops. And then she goes back and she's like, oh, hey, I saw the thing. And then she's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go. And then Kate's like, 
hey, do you want to just hang out? I'm having right. tea. And that's so many times I've done that with my friends. Like, hey, do you want to come have some tea? And they're like, yeah, sure. That's a good excuse to hang out. And that's just a very yeah. social, cute thing that's happening here that Liz definitely wants to be Kate's friend, but has absolutely no fucking idea how to socialize. Right. Because of growing up in like this cold, sterile room where nobody wanted to talk to her outside of being point. in a fire suit. And so like this her face. I, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I love her face in this panel where she's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. She, when she talks about, oh, I saw you bring, uh, I saw that you put flowers at Roger's grave and they're really pretty. I, I, like on one hand, she's saying she's trying to connect with Kate. On the other hand, it's just an excuse for something to say. Right. So much stuff has awful things have been happening and she's trying to, you know, really make a connection here. And I, I like that she just kind of said, oh, well. Let's bond over this. And Kate was like, yeah, Johan wanted to put some roses up there, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to let him do that. <laughs> so, but yeah, and she's like, okay, I guess I'll go. But then when Kate invites her to have tea, just the look on her face is so yeah, precious. I really like this little scene. I really scene. like that a lot. I was going to say, I, I actually, I just thought this, week, this scene was also really sweet. But I also yeah. like how she still has the cast on her arm. Yeah. And she's like, you know, because like. Yeah, you know, not everything was wrapped up the at continuity. the end of the last uh, yeah. episode. Right, yeah. And so she's still uh, suffering the repercussions of yeah. that. Yeah. And just little comments, too. Like, um, she, made a co- she made a comment about it, like, yeah, I'm getting better. It still hurts, though. Yeah, Which yeah. is a very kind of overall thing. And then this is totally unrelated, but I love the little bits of, yeah, the coffee room just has that Lipton stuff. Oh, we can do better than that. You know, like, and they're talking about, oh, moving the... Um, chair and all this stuff and it's just a really cute scene it's how people talk it's how people talk and it's how women talk to one another too they're not always just talking about a guy or they're not you know what i mean like it's (laughs) it's it's really good to have these these women be actual people and i've i've touched on that before or i guess i have ranted about that before but i i really just enjoy these little moments with the the character building stuff that aubrey that you were talking about earlier about how i didn't really advance the plot or did it like can the plot be to enjoy these characters too like i think that that's oh yeah to be invested in anything that happens to them we have to actually give a shit and care about them so it's really important to do these little moments where we feel like they're our friends yeah yeah that's how you talk to your friends yeah no i mean i and i and i love those little moments it's just yeah yeah, I mean, it's just nice to see this. Yeah. Over in Abe's room, he's in this robe. What did you think of Abe's robe? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so actually uh, in this scene, I thought he was holding the world's largest Zippo when I yeah, first heard Yeah, me too. Well, it's like a smoking jacket and this like very... Oh, um, why did he put on a smoking jacket? No, it's amazing. <laughs> oh, well, did they it's a smoking jacket. That? Was that in the package yeah, too? Yeah, it's a smoking jacket and a little uh, silver, you know container it's with like a it's fancy c- cigar, it's a cigar holder, box yeah. or not a box it's a cigar case. yeah case case thank you and it's got like it's very ornate yes yeah. ornate is the word and, and so it's, it's got the initials lec mm-hmm. and it also looks kind of tarnished so you know it's old yeah in it he finds three cigars and a map and balik papan indonesia is circled on it chapter two we get this short little scene where this guy's feeding all these cats, and then this little girl runs by, and all the cats follow her. <laughs> and then Abe and Daimyo arrive in Balikpapan, Indonesia, and so I like I like them together. Um, I like yeah, I like no, when, it's great. I like to get like just two characters pulled aside. I like whenever they do that. I love and that. I like so this much. combination. Any good show 
or book is going to do that. And so to have this, I, I, I say it almost every episode. It's very episodic. I love it. It's not, it's not formulaic. It's just, it's just good fucking writing. Yeah. It's just great. And so I, I agree with you. I like this pairing because we've got, <laughs> we've got Abe who's very sulky right, right now. And we've got Daimyo who's like, well, okay, we're at the docks again. This is very friggin' scenic. Right. Super cool and fun and good. I'm definitely having a great yeah. time. Like it's it's if anyone could snap him out of it cuz Liz couldn't snap him out of it cuz right. she was very non-confrontational about the whole thing. You know, and so I think that Daimyo just kind of barreling through the conversation <laughs> with him is a very good I'm looking forward to seeing if yes. that snaps him out of it or not. Like that's, you know, immediately yeah. at the start of the scene, I'm like, <laughs> yes, this is going to be great. Because he does not suffer that kind of behavior. No. And Abe's like, you don't have to be here, Captain. And he's like, what? You asked me to come? Yeah. Uh, like he's he's very, sorry, you, I cut you off. I, was, I, always, I also like how um, we haven't really ever seen Abe out into the fields in the last few issues because he's been all moping around the house. Yeah. Uh, he's getting out there. Well, in Plague and, of Frogs, he had that one. He but I mean, no, we, this, bit, we're yeah. actually going to see like a, a mission between... Uh, Damio and, and Abe. Well, yeah, yeah, we used or to get even those if, little moments. Yeah, so it's him. it's nice to see them together because I don't feel like he wasn't really going out with them. No, he hasn't. And especially to to be out in the field with Daimyo, who's just yelling all the time. <laughs> it's yeah. great. He says that he asked Daimyo to come because he thought he was a man's man, a man who kept his own company well and respected the privacy of others. And Daimyo's like, don't pull that crap. Privacy's got nothing to do with yeah, it. Yeah, ridiculous. We're here on a mission. You know what's going on. I don't. You think that's okay? I left you alone. Haven't said one word for almost two days. You've had your damn privacy. But I'm sick of walking around in the dark. And so Abe, he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out this cigar case. And he's like, Daimyo's like, you're right, Flipper. I don't have to be here. Captain, would you care for a cigar? And Abe offers the cigar holder. That's and very, I really, yeah. I really like this scene where they're smoking cigars together. I, I just hope they're not 150-year-old cigars. I know, right? No, <laughs> I yeah. mean, the map is new, so I'm assuming they put new cigars sure, in there. Sure, I'm sure they did. But yeah, this is a this is such a great scene. And I I love the, um, I guess it's a storytelling tool, I guess what you would call that, of having it just kind of cut away to the end of the conversation and him oh, being like, yeah. wow, I can't believe you told me all that stuff just now. Like, like it's, that. you know yeah. what I mean? It's no, very, you're right. we know all that stuff that happened. We don't need to hear it summarized. And he, we just assume he just told him the whole fucking story and that he knows what we know. It's a really great cut to the chase, get to the next part of the conversation. It works really well. I and like he, it a lot. And he hasn't really told any of the other guys about it at that's all. That's exactly right. He hasn't fucking told Liz. He hasn't told right, Kate. Yeah. He hasn't told... Who did no, he well, tell? No, Kate knows. Oh, Kate knows. Well, Johan, he hasn't, well, well, he hasn't told Johan. He hasn't yeah. told Liz. But, well, but I mean, Daimyo, he told, he, he's just... He just, he just spills all things. But I was like, yeah. did Kate know everything? Didn't there a point where he stopped telling her stuff about it? Well, yeah, with this mission, she's kind of in the dark. She's trying to get information from yeah. Daimyo, I think. I just, I, I like that they're having this bonding moment, and it's, um, it goes back to just that whole thing about if anyone can snap him out of this, it's Daimyo. Right. And I, I really love that, that pairing, like you were saying. It's, 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 it's a good dynamic. Yeah. And I like this line where he says, so is this a BPRD mission or an Abe Sapien mission? That's how I feel about this miniseries. It's sure. kind of like, is this a BPRD story or is this an Abe Sapien story? And Abe's like, I'm not sure. Perhaps both. In any event, I knew I had to come here. The real mystery is why I feel compelled to stay by these docks. 
Why am I not combing the whole city for clues, for lack of a better term? Same reason you wanted to stay at the hotel by the ocean. Somehow you just knew this is where you need to be, Daimyo says. Which is great for you, but I'm getting antsy. It might serve you well to find some distraction, Abe says. They have a healthy ecotourism trade here. You could see orangutans in the wild. And Daimyo's like, what? Monkeys? No thanks. We know that he's um he's scared of that he yeah. he's scared of that monkey but he keeps it right in his room and he looks right at it That's when he's having his therapy. That's a very thing to do. You know what I mean? Sure. Like what? <laughs> facing his fears or whatever. I like how he calls all primates monkeys too, the same way Hellboy does. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. It's great, and he's got the you know I don't know. It's interesting. It's it's a good scene. And uh, the last thing we see is this little girl with all the cats that we kind of saw in that first scene. Back at the BPRD headquarters, Johan is so fascinated by the finds in the sub-basement. He sees a picture of a man with a large... Well, I like how he's, like, fascinating and he holds the little book. I just, like, yeah. But he sees this picture of a man with a large helmet and some blueprints. As he wheels away some of the file cabinets, he hears a sound. And we see these lobster claw cards. Yeah. That's really weird. I just want to say real quick, if you go back and you look at this picture that he saw... So I don't know if you remember the first fa- the first time he saw Fall yeah. Folder. Remember there was all those Easter eggs in there. One of them was a guy in a big robot suit, and they were shooting flames at him. Yeah, and he's got the robot suit, and here. that's the helmet right there. So he's kind of seen that again. That's a that's kind of building on something. There's and lobster claw here. Oh, there's one in the book. Yeah, I didn't notice that. There is one sticking out of the book. Anyway. Good eye there, Aubrey. Yeah. We have another scene with Liz and Kate. Liz looks like she just finished her workout, and Kate wears a skirt. And um, they have another scene where you kind of see that they're like starting to become friends. friends yeah, yeah, you know, I like that. Liz asks if Kate has heard from Daimyo and Abe, and Kate says that they send an email that things are okay. Liz makes her plans to grab a late dinner with Kate when suddenly... Oh, no. Dun, dun, dun. What did you say? This, reminded this you guy of? reminds me of Zoltan Cool. From Diablo, from Diablo 3. 3. Yeah, if you played Diablo 3, this like creepy <laughs> old guy just pops up all the time. You're just like, God damn it, leave me alone it's awesome. already. It's hysterical to me. I just it's my favorite part of the game, probably. <laughs> anyway. Ah, there you are, he says. Oh God, not you again. I almost started to wonder if you were not going to come back here at all. I didn't come here. I didn't drive over to see you, Liz says. <laughs> You act as if I have some will in these visits with you. Believe me, if I did, I'd never see your face again. I don't know how the hell you get into my head, but if I ever find out... Tell me, Miss Sherman, the mystery guy says, whom do you trust? Oh, please, Liz says, this act of yours is played out. Look, you helped me find a way to beat that monster, and that's great. You think you've won, he says? You haven't won. You can't win. You kill one sentinel, and for you that's the end, eh? It's not the end. I'll show you the end. What'd you guys think of this um, double splash page here? Man, this thing. Fuck, man. Uh, Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, so this is just, um, this panel, the the one that scares me the most is this one with just all the frogs. Oh, swarming, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's just like you can't see anything else. It's just like totally covered. This. Yeah, and so we see this apocalyptic vision. We see these Ogdruhem just everywhere. Cities totally ravaged, and you know everything's been taken over by the frog plague and everything. The and design. Oh, I no, just, I just go the, ahead. The design on these Ogdruhem are just fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, they're really good. I really like the way these monsters look. These guys kind of look like those evolved frogs. These ones in yeah. the lower left or whatever. And then this makes me think these are all those tadpoles or whatever, those eggs that we saw in that Well, and then you one. see all the buildings. It's just like... Yeah. It's uh, like they made a nest out of all the yeah. buildings or whatever. This one's just nesting in there. This one looks like it's uh, like a fish landed on a grasshopper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crazy. So Liz has this vision. And it took zero seconds. That's what I was going to say, too. Yeah. When she snaps out of it, like, Kate is just barely walking away. Zero like, time has yeah. passed. Yeah. Whom do you trust, she hears. Over in Balikpapan, the Victorian robot with this monkey bird on its shoulder. It's getting some scritches. He's, like, scritching yeah, them right there. Yeah, it's super cute. It's like a pelican lizard monkey. Yeah. I was trying to remember pelican. Yeah. <laughs> the robot is saying, I truly envy you. You're the one with all the freedom. You come and go. Well, it's good to have you back. And we reveal that he's talking to this guy that we were introduced as Mr. Mahri. He tells McWerther, that's the robot guy, McWerther, that regarding his freedom, his itinerary is very strict and he returns right after each project. Such commitment, McWerther says. If I were in your place, I wonder if I should ever return. Mahri says that he never puts himself ahead of the hole, and they approach this large mansion. Is this like a, would you say this is a mansion? Yeah, it's a mansion. A Victorian mansion thing. And then like these, well, like cattle octopus things. Right. So there's <laughs> these weird animals in the front yard. They look like they have like um, squid yeah. heads or yeah. something or something. Well, weird and then like when that. he goes inside, all these like weird little robot dudes. Yeah. What'd you think of these guys? They're great. I He's like the greeted. Designs. They're like Edward, and these guys are just sitting on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that. It's just a j odd juxtaposition. That's no, good. Is it already the twenty second? One of them asks. Ahead of schedule for a change, Edward says. So they call him Edward. They're all hugging. And he's hugging these robots. Yeah, he's like, "Soon, boys. Very soon." In his room, back at the bureau, Johan looks at the files, and he wonders if he should be sharing his findings with the others. Perhaps not at three o'clock in the morning, though, because he never sleeps. He He's always have awake. To sleep, yeah. yeah. I like that painting that's behind him. Oh, I wonder what that's a reference to. I wonder if that's a real painting. No. Oh, I'm gonna have to look for that I would eye there, Aubrey. I would assume so, but even if it isn't, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I bet you it probably. Is. It it. Oh, that's a good one. I'm gonna have to figure out what that is. If you know what that is, let us know. Yeah, let us know. And we get another file folder. In this file folder, we see a picture of the old black flame. That's the one that whose skeleton was in Pope's um, collection there. Skeleton. And um, in the sketchbook, you see this guy that's next to the black flame. In the sketchbook in the back, it says that this guy is the mysterious Geist. Hmm. I like his overhauls are hanging on his door now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> it's a cute detail. And he also sees a picture of a trial. That woman, very familiar. And Johan starts um, researching. In the case of the World Court versus the Steel Hawk, also known as Rudolf Bergman, and Geist, also known as Richard Mott, and the Crimson Lotus. Oh, yes, that's where I know her. So we saw the Crimson Lotus in the first file folder. And he's, like, surprised by the information that he finds. That was a very, like, TV-type moment. It's always, like... And the Crimson Lotus is. <gasps> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, super good. 
Back at the mansion with Edward and the robot guys, Edward asks how the vessels are coming along. And we see this Victorian machines and three bodies growing in tubes. Ugh. I'd say another week for him, not much longer for the others. I'm experiencing a most unusual phenomenon, McWhorter says. There's a direct inverse proportion in my ability to be patient against the amount of time left to wait. Yeah, that's how impatience works. Yeah, it's not so <laughs> you strange. Just described Philip. impatience. <laughs> it was the same with me, but I assure you, it's worth all the anxiety. So you get the idea that um, these guys are waiting to be put into these bodies. Yeah. And what of call? Call, yes, there is the question. It's impossible to arrive at any opinion. Impossible. We just won't know until and if. And then Edward just starts screaming in pain. McWhorter's like, Edward, what is it? You know what it is. <laughs> and then we go up the stairs. We go down the hallway and we see this bedroom. Around the bedroom, there are these pots with smoke coming out. And we see those green eyes again. Edward, a voice uh-huh. says. In Daimyo and Abe's hotel room, Abe sleeps in the bathtub and Daimyo talks to Kate on the phone. He tells her Abe's sleeping like a baby. A baby tuna, anyway. <laughs> Daimyo tells Kate that the mission has something to do with Call. You know about Call, Kate asks, meaning you already knew. Thanks for keeping us all informed, Daimyo says. I was trying to respect Abe's privacy, Kate responds. There's that word again, Daimyo says. He tells Kate that someone knows Abe is call. He says Abe is in for the night and he's tired of spying on the poor guy. He's going to head back to his room and he'll call her tomorrow. Okay, but only if there's a new development, Kate says. As Daimyo closes the door, we see that creepy girl with the cats outside Abe's room. And that's kind of like a horror reveal, you know what I mean? Like I could That's a very cinematic thing. I could imagine there being like a horror music beat, you know, when that happens or something. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was just creepiest <laughs> in the morning after knocking for a while daimyo lets himself into abe's room but abe is gone the door slams behind daimyo and an address yulon buhar 29 is written on the wall and i like this i like this panel where he turns around where he turns his head yeah um i just really like that motion it it's just captured very well yeah chapter three this cover oh. is excellent i was gonna say this oh now. okay well, yeah. well go ahead and say what you're gonna say that's all Oh, I was going to say, I like how on the cover, it's like the bird body and then the picture of the fish head is yeah. covering. It's almost like what those weirdos are doing. Right, And the yeah. robots and the, um, the composition of it is very good. The flowers and the um, little Egyptian stuff. It's just a good cover. Yeah. Daimyo is trying to get information at the Indonesian police department. And there's another couple that's looking for their special needs daughter who is missing. She won't survive long, the dad says. And we see this other couple. There's like a little joke there. Yeah. What do you think of that? Hey, just another day <laughs> down at the the police station. Yeah. They did that on Night Court a lot. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Just a lot of the same exact joke over and over. I used to love that show. <laughs> My birds love that show. They like the theme song too. They like the theme song. <laughs> the officer tells Daimyo that he should go back to the hotel and wait for his missing friend. And Daimyo busts out his badge. I like whenever they show the badge. He explains he's a federal agent and he can find a U.S. embassy instead if they don't want to help. And the officer then asks for every available man for a major case. And we cut to Abe. I love this page. I love (laughs) Abe and this thing. Um, When I first saw this, I had one of those moments where I'm just like, yes. 
Abe's so been, broody. He's been so weird lately, and this scene just made me really happy. I don't know. For he kind of reminds me of Hellboy in that boat oh, yeah, sure. at the end of the island. I like his pirate shirt. Yeah, he's got his shirt open. He's smoking a cigar. He's just in this boat all alone. It's really cool. Back at the BPRD headquarters in Colorado, just another reason I love Kate. She orders a lot of books yeah, online. Yeah, great. Kate you can't is... take the academia out of the girl. And it's good to see the characters yeah. smiling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just hanging out. Johan comes in to show Kate and Liz something that he stumbled upon while poking around the sub-basement. And Elizabeth, he says, you must reserve judgment. And he's got this big preface. I like how Kate's like, out with it already. He shows them a picture of a woman on trial for war crimes, the Crimson Lotus, the same character that we saw at the end of the dead in the first file folder that Johan found. Her last name is Daimyo, and she's, in fact, Daimyo's grandmother. Back in the dead, when we saw that file folder and we saw the Crimson Lotus, do you remember that picture? Do you remember what the Crimson Lotus had? With her? No. Do you remember? I don't. It was one of those monkeys. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh. I mean, I it was one of those monkeys. Yeah, no, that's what I was talking about. Besides that. Okay. There's a new Crimson Lotus comic book coming out right now. They're, you know, they're oh, they're right. actually okay. doing a comic book about that. Edgar said, asked on Facebook if we had picked it up, and I did. Um, it's really good, but we'll get to that way, way, way down. <laughs> That'll be a little later. But I do want to talk a little bit about this. War crimes of the Empire of Japan occurred in many Asia-Pacific countries during the period of Japanese imperialism, during the Second Sino-Japanese War and World War II. These incidents have been described as the Asian Holocaust. War crimes were committed by military personnel from the Empire of Japan in the late 19th century. Although most took place during the first part of the Shadowa era, the name given to the Emperor Hirohodo until the surrender of the Empire of Japan in 1945. And I actually referenced these war crime trials way, way back in our Hellboy Wake yeah. the Devil episode. The guards also testified at these war trials that they were ordered by Hitler to kill Vladimir Jurisku. Have you ever read The Rape of Nanking? No, I haven't read that. That is book, that is that what this is all about? Uh, that book is fucked up. It's the Japanese occupation of Nanking in World War Two. Yeah, it's wow. written by like um, messed up. A relative to a survivor or a survivor. I can't wow. remember exactly. But yeah, it was a messed up. Yeah, very. <laughs> a lot of messed up shit. So back over at, I guess this is Yulan Buhar 29. Daimyo and the police open this storage warehouse. And in there, they find this enormous Victorian golden machine. This is not what Daimyo expected to find. The policeman says, it's very strange, isn't it? So shiny, but it looks as if it had been built centuries. And he's about to touch it. Daimyo stops him from touching the machine. Why not? You know what it is? The policeman asks. Something I wouldn't touch, that's all. Daimyo responds. Also in the same warehouse is the little girl with the cats. And this is the same girl that they were looking for at the police station. She's drawn this giant map on the floor. And four points are circled. Back with Abe, he's arrived in his location. Perhaps this is might be the same time that Hellboy is arriving in England, right? Because he's going he's going home oh, to right. England. We know that uh, oh. Hellboy Hellboy is arriving in England, so I was wondering about that. He's been he's been heading there for a long, long time now. And uh, this is a really great page. I just love um, the way Guy Davis did this page. It's really good. And I like this um, little robot guy is just like tending the flowers and yeah pruning the pruning the bush that's good 
Um, are those so, roses? Yeah, well, um, I don't know if they're roses. They are purple. He's uh, trimming these flowers, and this one I think is Dameron. And he's singing After the Ball. After the ball is over, but after the break of morn, after the dancers leaving, after the stars are gone, many a heart is a if you could read them all, many the hopes that have vanished after the ball. After the Ball is a popular song written in 1891 by Charles K. Harris, after the ball became the most successful song of its era, which at the time was gauged by the sales of sheet music. That's oh, like wow. That was like equivalent to selling like CDs or whatever, records, That's MP3s. Awesome. In 1892, it sold over 2 million copies of sheet music. And it's a sentimental ballad. So this is really weird. It's like about this guy. He sees his girlfriend kissing another guy at a party. And when she tries to tell him, like, what what it was or whatever, he, like, won't listen to her. So then, uh, so then, like, years and years later, like, she already died and everything. And then he finds out that that guy was her brother. Aww. So, like, it, you know, it's, like, supposed to be real sad because that was, you yeah. know, he, he basically missed out on whatever because he was being a jerk. Anyway, A pulls a gun on him. I like that they're definitely steam-powered robots. Yeah, they have those little, you can see in the back, all the little tubes, and sometimes well, and the, the, steam, the, comes the steam comes out. And he's like, Call, you found us. My God, it's a dream made real. Welcome, Call. Welcome to our garden island, to your new home. Come, come. The others will want to know of your arrival. And I thought this was really so just, weird. Abe just like immediately, he just holsters his yeah. gun and just starts following him. He's like, oh, okay, I'll go along with this. That's great. And he's like, look, look who we have here. Heavens, man, you're exactly as we left you. And look at how we all ended up. You got the fair end of that arrangement, I'd say. <laughs> and Abe's just like, who? And he's like, of course you don't recognize us like this. How foolish of me. It's been so long that, never mind, I'm Esner, and this is Dameron, and that's McWerther. And Abe's like, stop, stop. Who are you, people? Yeah. <laughs> they just keep talking to him. They're like, come inside. Let's show you all this stuff. It's a good omen that you're here. Just the visual of these three robots, like. Gesticulating and everything. <laughs> it's very, yeah, it's very humorous. How do you know me? Who are you? I told you, Ensner, Damron. That, that doesn't, doesn't mean, mean anything, anything to me. <laughs> He's like, look, you sent that little girl to get me. She gave me your note, the island's coordinates, the boat. I felt as if I had to come for some reason, but now I want answers. And they're like, little girl. Oh, of course, now I see it. It was Nonette. Hey, enough of that, I told you. I have questions. And Abe pulls out his gun again. And they're like, all right, Edward, go ahead. And you see behind Abe, Edward is there, this ginormous man. What did you just call me, Abe says, and he gets smacked by, uh, he gets knocked out by Edward. Back at the BPRD, Liz sees that picture that we saw in The Dead. Um, we had already made this connection, but I like how they make it too. You know what I mean? In a lot of TV shows and movies, it's like, 
you wonder like why don't the characters just talk to each other you know what i mean but here you see like she she's getting the same information that we are so she's kind of putting this stuff together and she's just looking at this picture i think she knows that that's the guy johan explains daimyo's backstory and kate says well it's not as if any of this is illegal no of course not but he's never mentioned any connection even when he saw me reading that scrapbook i found as johan shows kate Liz walks out. She's visibly rattled after seeing that creepy guy again. Abe wakes up in the mansion. Abe listens to the Victorian guys talk outside, and they all drink tea. They talk about how he held them at gunpoint. It's fantastic. Yeah, I love this. Yeah. And they know that Abe doesn't know who they are or anything from his previous life. Why, just look at that man. The sea flows through his body. He embodies oans more than any of us ever will. Okay, so I have a little bit of a trivia tangent to All go right, on here. let's do it. It's my fave. I got some very thorough and impressive information from Occultus CK at Fluvia, who you can check out on Instagram and Twitter. Mm. CK says, It's fair to say that Abe may be connected to Enki, or a parallel of him that exists within the Hellboy BPRD universe. Enki, whose temple was called Ea or E-Abzu, Ea meaning water or house of water, and E Abzu meaning Abzu temple or freshwater temple, was considered the one responsible for forging man by combining water from blood and earth to make clay and forming man out of the clay in the form of dolls that became animated with life. That's really cool. Well, what culture is this that we're talking about? This is, I believe it's uh, Mes- uh, Mesopotamian. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is perhaps strangely accurate to scientifically how humans work. We are made of minerals and elements found in the earth, and we consist of a large percentage of water, making this one of the earliest somewhat technically accurate origins uh, for humanity. Shit. Long story short, Enki protected these people from chaos gods and the fury of a destroyer and became beloved by the people as their protector and a giver of life. However, he was also depicted as a god of magic and magical wisdom, Enki is related to life creation, wisdom, protection, crafts, and on occasion mischief. Although he is explicitly not a chaos god, he is specifically associated through wisdom with building language and speech. Given that Langdon Call was evidently a decent engineer with Victorian countenance, this may be no coincidence. If I recall correctly, there are a few panels in Abe's stories where we see bodies of water, some with reeds around them. Aside from being natural elements of a lakeside, they are also related to Enki. Mentions of the reeds of Enki survive, and in one story involving Enki, he gives wisdom to some people hiding from a great flood and tells them to build a boat of reeds to survive. They do, but the opposing god, Enlil, takes measures to ensure that humans must leave humanity at some point or another to prevent overpopulation. This is why humans die. Enki, based on what we know of his character, was likely upset by this, and he is expressive and generally kind where people are involved, so it makes sense that reeds, while symbolizing building, also represent both survival and great difficulty, particularly emotional damage. Were, do they not also, were they not used to make marks in clay tablets? Oh yeah, I think write, so, yeah. I think they would press the end of a reed. Yeah, cuneiform. Cuneiform, yeah, yeah. thank you. And CK says to look for reeds in scenes with this subject matter. It's not just scenic panel decoration or natural plant life present in these environments. There's occult shit in everything. Hell yeah. When we see Abe in the water, the deeper he goes, he mentions a feeling of a pulling and belonging. Enki was a god of the watery deep with a freshwater temple of life contrasting deep water brine pools in which most things die. 
Abe is related closely with this deep, and the Owen Society with their diving suits and submarine is a very clear example of this. Abe is connected to that deep as well. Owen also Owens was another name for Enki, or in other cases, a name applied to the Apkalu, the seven wise men, which were part man and part fish, the seven sages, fitting for a group of sign occultists, I think. And the first of these legendary fishman sages is known as Oans. Mm. And CK also participated in a ritual to Enki. And he writes that they wore blue cloaks and lit candles all around drawings of Enki and effigies made of fish bones with all these elements laid together on an altar draped in blue and gold cloth. It is worth noting that Enki, as Lord of Abzu, is a significant title. Ab is a Sumerian word for freshwater, but also for semen, water of life. However, Enki himself was often depicted as a gender ambiguous in certain surviving records. While in others he is specifically male, in many others he is known to be surrounded mostly by women or female-identifying deities. Some of the most notable surviving stories of him have related these feminine entities, sometimes married with one, all depicted as equal in power. And the way Enki is depicted can have gendered or non-gendered implications. In one tale, Enki becomes pregnant before passing the child along to be born from Ninhershag which is a particularly interesting bit of ancient lore. Keep being awesome. I love the podcast. And may you find sanctuary always in the house of the watery deep, CK. That was really nice. Yeah. That, was, that he laid all that out for us. Very I cool. really appreciate that. Thank you that. for that. Yeah. And Ross Radke, he also talked about this a little on Twitter. He said that the picture um, that we saw of that, um, the fish god in the universal machine, remember that was in the book? He said that that was a classic depiction of the Philistine god Dagon, who also bears a resemblance to Oans. And I read a little bit about Dagon as well. The fish entomology was accepted in the 19th and 20th century scholarship. This has led to the association with the merman motif. So scholars have suggested that Dagon was not, it was not an origin of fish god, but over time that became part of the god's iconography. That's what we were talking about earlier. That's what we were talking about earlier when we were like, why isn't he obsessed with this part of it? Right, and, yeah. About being Dagon. Yeah. Anywho, we see all this cool shit in the room. What do you think about all this cool stuff in the Some room? Some cool shit? Yeah. They, they turn an octopus into a chandelier. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's not, like a giant squid. I, I like to think of that as... I mean, maybe hopefully it's like ceramic or something. I mean, that's awful. <laughs> I mean, it would it, it it'd have to be ceramic, right? Yeah, I, mean, I sure hope so. Because otherwise it get too hot. And, yeah, anyway... Yeah. <laughs> there's all these weird relics abe is like kind of looking around he finds this book he finds this book and he's looking through there he sees pictures of that um that cocoon that yeah. he saw in the vision um where he saw the jellyfish and all that kind of stuff and then he looks on the wall and he sees these pictures and they're dated april 14th april april 23rd and may 1st of 1865 and we see that he's turning into he's turning into what we know him as now from call and it's one of these things where they're all just standing there too like the way that they're posed and in the last one they're all like yeah drinking and smoking cigars and they're pretty pumped that he turned into this thing yeah it's a little weird it's also neat that it it, it shows that it, it wasn't just like he woke up and he was a fish guy yeah it took like at least two three weeks <laughs> right well when we saw that at the end like we just saw call freeze and his eyes go white but we didn't really see what happened what after. Happened so yeah, I guess like he stayed like that is... for a while. Sure. And then I don't know. Yeah. 
Because, I mean, at one point you hear him, like, in the flashback, you say you hear him say, get him in the water. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, it looks like he's he's been in the, like, I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. And so Abe just smashes the pictures when he's he sees like, those guys yeah. smiling. I, yeah. That's a really cool moment. He has a little bit of a freak out. Yeah, dicks. <laughs> and so he's walking around, and he hears this voice. Edward? Edward, are you up here? Well, come here then. Oh, you're not Edward. And Abe sees this very, very old woman lying in the bed, and she's got green eyes. I'd almost forgotten about like the unwrapping party. Yeah. yeah. This thing. Yeah. yeah, well, it's like um, three issues later. They just showed it for a couple pages at the beginning, and then, yeah. Oh, we got that one eye also earlier. Yeah, we did. Um, we, we heard a voice calling Edward earlier. Of course, you must be the American, the woman says. You sailed here very quickly, didn't you? But then you were a seaman in your last life, weren't you, mister? What was it now? Langdon Call? Oh, I knew it all along. I just like to play games. And um, so we mentioned that when um, where Abe found out that Langdon Call was a adventurer with Cavendish. Yeah. That's the one where he, he found out about the wife. You you sent that little girl to me, Abe Asser. The woman says it was difficult finding a mind so far away and weak for what she needed. Abe says he wants to know who you are and why he's here. And the woman introduces herself as Panya. Panya. And she tells her origin, starting with the unrolling ceremony that we saw at Lord Mittenborough's in 1859. After the wrapping, she was taught how to function in society. And I like this little montage where yeah. they're like teaching her how to write and everything. She <laughs> kind of became a celebrity. She became like a socialite. In my head, I just hear that like montage music for that they would play uh, on that Seinfeld episode. Was, Which one? My baby takes the morning train. <laughs> uh, but she I became... <laughs> And so she um, was rubbing elbows with all the famous people in Victorian times, but she became careless with her associations, or at least Lord Glaren thought she did. And so we see when she mentions that she was, they didn't like her associations, we see that guy again. It's that guy. Yeah, the one that they were all scoffing at earlier. And Lord Glaren was trying to shelter her, metaphorically and literally, as he and the Heliopic Brotherhood took her in. So we've heard of the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra before already. Dr. Karp from the Hellboy story, Dr. Karp's Experiment, was a grandmaster of the Heliopic Brotherhood. That's what um, Agent Raskin told Hellboy. And then when we read Into the Silent Sea, the woman in black was part of that brotherhood. And we saw her go into Egypt and get all this stuff. Remember that? Do we ever get a Panya story about her in Egypt? Like, when she was not a mummy. We, we we get some stuff. Oh, man. I'm excited for we that get some stuff. stuff. I'm excited oh, for that. Man, yeah. That'd be great. The Heliopic Brotherhood let Panya do all her animal experiments. She was an integral and equal member, but they kept her confined. In this way, Panya tells Abe, I first developed the very skill that brought you to me. Telepathic suggestion rendered my host unconscious, and through a messenger, I arranged to be met by members of the Brotherhood's rival organization. Of course, I couldn't stay in London after so daring an escape. But did I care? I was free. So she's the one that made these monster right. hybrids. Yeah, she made animal the, hybrids. Yeah, she's the one that made them. That sentiment wore off rather quickly. Ponya realized the rival organization, the Oan Society, 
wasn't taking her to America. They used this Indonesian island as their new base of operations and her new cage. She did enjoy the research with the animals, though. (laughs) Still, they took the precaution of burning opiates around my bed to prohibit me from my psychic misdeeds, she tells Abe. So that's why I'm feeling so strange. (laughs) So I was thinking about this, like, Abe is just sitting there for so long. like he's opiates. Yeah, he's probably, like, getting so trashed. It's probably like an opium dim consistency in there. Yeah, right. partying with a mummy over here. Yeah. <laughs> Abe asks if Panya sent the girl to him so that he could rescue her. Of course not, she says. It really hasn't been so bad. They worship me, you know. Panya says she can't go anywhere in her physical deterioration, but she would not allow the ON Society to end it. And so just then... Oh, no, Ned, don't be ridiculous, Ensner says, with Edward entering in the room also. Quite a notion she has there. And they ask for Call to come with them. like how she's super pissed that he keeps calling her that. She's like, that's not my fucking name. You right. know, you know that's not my Ned. name. Abe also says that, too. Yeah, I was, I was like, just about to say that. Yeah, he's like, my name is Abe. And they're like, Abe, then, please. When Panya's screaming at them, Ensner says... Listen to that fury. I can't imagine why she hates us so. After all, it is only we who are keeping her alive. And Abe's like, perhaps that is why. Yeah. <laughs> back in Balikpapan with Daimyo and the police, they get the little girl, Lastri, back to her parents. And we make up for saying this pejorative term for most of the comic, too, because yeah. Daimyo's like, that's not what we say in the States. Yeah. But he also says, and if she's either, what the hell's that make me? You know, so he's kind of like, I like that little moment. That's um makes me yeah. feel better about that whole thing. All right, take her home. I think I might have a few ideas about what all this means. That won't be necessary, Captain, Lastry <laughs> says. I can explain everything. And we see that it's actually Panya speaking through right. her in some nice uh, side comparison. We saw another one of this, like when Ice was, remember when Ice was typing on the type? Yeah. I like whenever they do stuff like that. Yeah. It's paced very well. Back with the Oan Society... They show Abe the bodies that they are growing. They crafted them to be perfect physical specimens, as well as great spiritual reservoirs. Edward's body was our first, our prototype, Ensner explains. His was the lowest functioning of these mobile, life-sustaining units we lumber about in. So we transferred his brain into that magnificent body. Edward apologizes to Abe for hitting him, who he calls Call. I'm always trying to be careful, he says. Your mission? To destroy the world? No, Lang, Abe, no, that's not it. Not one bit. We mean to do nothing less than save what we can of it. Man is doomed, Edward says. The air is dark, the seas are sick, and war is coming. From what I've seen, you yourself are fighting an inexorable plague. Nobody can stop any of it. But the idolen of man is a matter for another discussion, and I had to look this word up. No, it means ghost or spirit. Yeah, it it means, uh, yeah, well, that's exactly what it means. (laughs) (laughs) They tell Abe, with strategically placed equipment, we will set off a series of massive earthquakes along the Pacific Rim. The result will be prodigious tidal waves that will devastate Eastern Asian coastlines. Yes, millions will lose their lives, but at a specific time of our choosing. It's so fucked up. Thusly, at that moment, we can control their final fates. We've developed a way to guide their souls to us, right here. You see, we designed these great bodies to house all their eternal spirits. They will power the engines of domination over the next great age. When the end comes for all the worlds, these souls, unlike billions of others, will live on forever under our stewardship. Each one of us, a living nation of man. 
So ridiculous. Yeah, this is so crazy, so right? So dumb. Like, no. And we, this kind of reminded me, too, of um, almost Colossus, where yeah. he built that giant body. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stop trying to do this thing, men. What are you doing? Spiritual reservoirs. How ambitious, Abe says. By laying waste to this corner of the globe, you ultimately save mortal souls of millions, and the world as a whole lives on. Yes, yes, you do understand. We talked about this often back when you were Langdon Call. Do you remember? This is certainly familiar, Abe says, and I like how he's tapping on the glass. He's yeah. kind of like testing it right there. Mm-hmm. That is that is good foreshadowing. Yeah. We were friends, you say, but upstairs I saw some pictures taken in 1865. Are you the same men making rather merry as I change from man to fish creature? Don't judge too harshly. We thought it cause for celebration. You look to be the spirit of Oans made flesh. We, all of us, were men of the dark sciences. Had I been the one transforming, the man you were would not have acted any differently. I thought that that was really interesting. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Edward says, we are your friends, Call. See how we've preserved all your things waiting for your return? Ah, yes, your walking stick. You bought it while in London. You recognize it? And he gets it and he kind of like looks at it like he's trying to remember it. And he's just like, no, I love that. So good. And he cracks the the tube where they're housing these bodies that they're growing. This is so crazy. It's just so awesome as it comes like crashing through and you see like it just gets totally, um, just totally shredded by all the glass. Because it's not safety glass. <laughs> yeah. You'll be dead before dusk, Call Edward yells, and Abe runs out. Stone dead. I also like how Abe just kind of sort of played them. He like listens to their story, and he's like, okay, you guys are doing some evil shit. Uh, oh, my stuff. Ooh, a cane. Yeah. <laughs> well, he even, he even pretended like... Um, he was agreeing with them for a little bit. You know, he tried yeah. to pull them in. Back with Daimyo, it seems he's learned the same information from Panya through the girl. The policeman is skeptical, but Daimyo says he doesn't have time to explain what kind of weirdness he's been into the last six years, okay? He says to bring their best from the bomb squad to look at the machine. Come on, you. We've got more talking to do, Daimyo says to the girl. You're not Lastry at all, are you? To borrow the phraseology of a mutual friend, I may find a moment later to satisfy your curiosity. Right now, we have bombs to find, Lastry says. I wonder if the reason the cats are following her, I don't know, is it because Egyptians used to worship cats? Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. In the the cults of Bast, that that was like a huge thing, right? Yeah, all the things that you're pointing out are all like good things. I'm excited. Yeah, you're pointing out a lot of good things. That's pretty awesome. She tells Daimyo to check for public records for leases taken out by Alex Mahri. That's spelled M-A-H, and the little girl stops talking. Hey, wait, what's wrong, Daimyo asks. And back in the mansion, Edward is confronting Panya. He calls her Nonette again. I need to know every single thing you told that fish man, and believe me, darling, I will know. And he brandishes a knife He's at her. Got the, well, no, those are no, the scissors that's, from the unwrapping. Oh, those are the scissors. Yeah. You're right. It's not a knife. It's the scissors. Good job. And that's what you were going to point out at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. It's awesome and fun. I like this part where Abe's like talking to himself. He's like, okay, think this through. These monstrosities, they're growing. He's trying to figure out a plan. He thinks that if he can get to his boat, he can warn people before all these bombs go off. And he gets to his boat and he sees all these monsters there. 
And this one right here in the very front looks almost exactly like one of those Pacific Rim monsters. Yeah. With less like eyes or yeah. whatever, but the shape of the head is kind of like very similar I to one of those. I went to his website and looked at all his stuff and it's fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. All the Guy David stuff. Yeah. You're talking about the hammerhead shark one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Damron approaches. He says they're easy to train and quite harmless. It's people you have to watch out for. Damron says there's something about the inner crossing that makes them docile. Although that isn't always the case. Take you. And he points his arm at Abe and it extends out, right? And like stabs Abe in the shoulder and Abe falls. Damron lifts a boulder to smash Abe. Not docile at all, I'm told. Chapter five. And we open on this gruesome scene, right? Edward is torturing Panya, trying to get her to tell him what Awful. she told Abe. Awful. And he's using those scissors and everything. Terrible. She telepathically attacks him. And he just continues to threaten her. Back with Daimyo, the bomb squad inspect the machine, and he's told by the police that he shouldn't be standing so close to the machine without armor. Lieutenant, according to these men, if this thing blows, it'll sink half the island. All that extra padding is only going to make you drown faster. (laughs) And he's like, Captain, my men can hear you. And he's like, relax. Apparently it operates on a remote detonation transmitter. It's just a matter of snip, right? If they can disconnect it from the... Um, from the transmitter then it can't go off and you can see as soon as they cut it an alarm goes off um in the mansion i like how panya is just like <laughs> she's all yeah just little chuckles she knows that her plan is working yeah it's great edward comes running down the stairs it's one of the bombs somebody get to the cottage now so they call into damron who's trying to kill abe they call out to damron but he tells them he's about to take care of call They tell him to drop that and head out to the cottage double quick. Cottage, Abe says to himself, as he rolls out of the way of the boulder. And so he got away right there. The bomb with Daimyo has been deactivated, but the other bombs are still out there. Daimyo says they have teams looking for the others. I have to say, Captain, the officer says, I've never had a missing persons case turn out to be quite so interesting before. Missing person, right, right, Daimyo says, rubbing his eyes. It's a good reminder, right? Yeah. He's supposed to be looking for Abe. <laughs> oh, man. One of the cops comes back with the girl last stream. He says she started speaking again in English again and screaming. She tells Daimyo she wants to talk a little more about that mutual friend of ours. Back at the mansion, Damron is in the cottage. He says they lost the signal to the bomb in Balik Papan, but the other signals are still transmitting. And then suddenly they lose the signal in Tokyo as well. Edward says to activate the soul beacon. They can't waste the opportunity. Set the bombs to go off in 10 minutes and he'll prepare his body to receive them. He says he knows this isn't the plan, but it will make it easier for them once Edward has harnessed all the power. And so just as Damron's going to do that, Abe comes crashing in with that cane. Just wrecking shit. I love this. Yeah, it's really good. And so he's doing the, he's, he's just got a good action shit beat. Up, yeah, man. it's great. You're tougher than I thought, Leapfrog, Damron says. I suppose I can't postpone killing you any longer. I'm afraid you'll have to, Abe says, and he jump kicks Damron into the control console, and um, it electrocutes him. And Abe uses Damron's severed robot arm to destroy the console. Oh, yeah, he just rips the arm off and just starts beating the hell out of it. Yeah, it's really good. I like how he brandishes it at the other robot. Yeah. Um, when he steps outside, the cottage is now burning, and he's confronted by McWhorter as this one. Off to wreck our generator next, I see, he says. 
Abe and McWhorter fight, and Abe gets pretty bashed up. Like, McWhorter's pretty good in this, you know, robot suit. He's able to pummel him pretty good. How could I have ever believed the blood of Oans nourished your tissues, McWhorter asks. And there's certainly nothing left of call in you. So you've managed to disable our radio transmitter? What of it? Do you suppose we can't rebuild? And he punches Abe over to the generator. Is that what he lands up against right here? Is that the generator? I thought it was like a uh, like a fuel truck or something. It like looks... a natural gas thing. Right. Yeah, some sort of, I don't know what that is. Anyway. We thought you were coming back as our leader, our inspiration. That was our mistake. Yours was thinking you could be our end. Damron calls from the burning cottage and McWhorter goes to rescue him. But Abe pushes this giant tanker over onto them and it spills all this gasoline on them and on the cottage and it ignites everything. It causes this huge explosion. So this is a really cool action beat too. You know, until he pushed that over, I never really thought about how strong he, Abe really is. Oh yeah, you're right. Because I mean, he if he moves like the way he does, you know, super fast underwater, yeah. there's like, have you ever tried to move your arm yeah. underwater? Right. Yeah. And um, we saw that he got thrown against all these rocks from by the Ogopogo, and he survived, and um, he's been burned and shot, and he's had yeah. his arm broken so many times. So, yeah, he's a pretty tough guy. McWhorter flies through the air and lands in the water nearby. Like we get the Victorian submarine. Yeah, we saw that at the end of Plague of Frogs. Looks a little worse for wear right yeah. yeah. Back with Panya. Well, we also see um, Edward is outside. He's, he's, re- he's prepared to accept all the souls. And back with Panya, Ensnard says, it's just a problem with the generator. We'll have the whole place lit up before you know it. Go to hell. Yeah, she's just like, such uncharitable language these days, Ensnard says. And he's confronted by Abe. Take me to the basement, he says. So you can destroy the last two bodies, Ensnard asks. No call. I don't think so. Anyway, look at you. You're in no shape to make demands of any sort. Yes, I say we just end it right here. Stay back, Abe says, and he cracks the glass on Ensner's machine. Haven't you geniuses discovered plexiglass? <laughs> and he raises his cane at him. I was I loved that joke. That yeah. was like amazing. <laughs> and it just makes me think these guys have been what, dicking around for the last hundred and fifty yeah, years or some shit they like can that. Build right, all this yeah. shit and they don't Drinking know what tea and is. sitting yeah. on the couch. And they're still using the same technology. I mean like, uh, damn, we passed you the fuck by. Right, yeah. And like even the songs, he's still singing that same song from the eighteen nineties and yeah. stuff. And yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Maybe their plans would have gone better had they stayed current with technology. Right. Edward hears screaming outside and he runs into the mansion and he sees Ensner dead outside the mobile life unit. And so it just looks like it like vomited him out or something. It's really, <laughs> so gross. that's really gross. So he's all pissed. He's going to get Panya and she's like, go fuck yourself. Right. Great. <laughs> she goes, I am not your goddamn water goddess. It's awesome. My name is Panya and I'll outlive you. And so I looked this up. Uh, new feminine non-net is the deification of the primordial watery abyss nice. of ancient Egyptian religion. As they're having this confrontation, Abe stabs Edward through with his sword. And I see he's got two swords, too. He's, like, brandishing two swords. Yeah. He's like, oh, so awesome. <laughs> we weren't bothering you. You never had to come here. Why? And Abe's like, you wanted to kill millions. Only their bodies, you fool, Edward says. Their spiritual salvation was guaranteed. How can you find fault with that? Call, the real call, understood. He would be right beside us. Then thank God he's dead, Abe says, and he chops off Edward's arm. Ew. And so Edward pins Abe to the ground, 
and he's trying to choke him and Abe's trying to reach over to get the get the other sword. This is horrible. Yes. I it's just all gone. Say that this is horrible. Yeah, yeah. I just love this. No, I don't know, I just love this. And awful. Abe is just like so he just starts he grabs the sword, he just starts hacking, hacking, and you just see like blood and stuff is going everywhere and then we just see Edward's head fall to the ground. I'm just gonna turn the page. <laughs> And so Abe has left him totally mutilated with no hand. And it's just weird seeing this giant body with no head, and naked body with no head and no arm. Oh. It's really great. It's not great. <laughs> I thought it was very well done. <laughs> Daimyo and the BPRD have arrived at the mansion and Abe greets Daimyo and says his new friend told him Daimyo would be arriving. Funny, my new friend told me where to find you, Daimyo says. Think they know each other? It wouldn't surprise me, Abe says. Christ, that is one ugly cow. And we see one of those um, one of those uh, animals. It kind of reminded me of the brain bug from Starship yeah, Troopers. Oh, yeah, definitely Only as a cow. Yeah. <laughs> as I understand it, you've been doing great things without me, Abe says. Oh, I don't have any black eyes to show off to the girls back home, but I did okay, like Daimyo that. responds. The medic, Daimyo's like, yeah, listen, would you beat it for a second? Aw, <laughs> And so they sit down and they have this little moment here. Daimyo says, so this is the past you came half across the world looking for, huh? Well, everything else aside, I hope you got some answers. A few, Abe says. I met some men here, Captain, and they all knew Langdon Call. Knew him very well, as it turns out. But they didn't know me. And we zoom out and we just kind of see those animals and them yeah. sitting there. I really like how that ends. I like that a lot because, I mean, they didn't know me. He's realizing... He's realizing the mistake that he made by thinking that he was discovering that he's actually this person. Right. When really, no, like, you're just you, man. Yeah. You're just you. And he kind of lost sight of himself for a while. And so he's like, well, they didn't know me. And he's, I think that's him saying, I have been not knowing me. Right. Also. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah. It's kind that's of, a good point. He's sort of relating to Daimyo this, like... It's almost like a conclusion of his thing that we yes, see through Daimyo, exactly, which is yeah. really nice. It's like he's accepting the fact that he's not any Langdon Yeah, Cole. He might have been, like, birthed from him. Yeah, but, and so it's one yeah. of those things where it's like, yeah, they knew who Langdon Call was, and I tried to figure out who Langdon Call was because I thought that that was going to be me, but it turns out I was just here all along, right. and that's not me. And that's it was just a really well-done dialogue there. And it also seems like, it wouldn't get along with Langdon. No, Langdon was not all exactly, guy. exactly. That's that. That was that whole thing that that guy was saying about. Oh, you would have done the same thing, right? And yeah. all this stuff. And so he's like, actually, these guys are jerks. I don't want anything <laughs> to do with this at all. So yeah, that was great. And I and it kind of like this has been kind of um, woven into all the stories, yeah. right? This thing with Abe and trying to figure out with Langdon Call, how is he going to reconcile that? And so all here this I, huge fucking journey just to come back around and be like, Oh, I was myself this whole time. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting. Whom amongst us. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was a great discussion. Whomst. Whomst. And, uh, amongst us, John. Whomst amongst us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we'll be back for another episode next week. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. So share with your thoughts on Garden of Souls. Send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. You can also join us at Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club and Discord. 
Yeah, the Discord link is on our Facebook page. You can check us out there on the under the About section. Yeah. And also, don't forget to check out our friends at Magnoliaverse.com. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, leave us a rating. Yeah, it would be great. On our next episode, we will be discussing... Actually, on our next episode, we're going back to Hellboy. Hey. Yeah. How about it? And we'll be discussing Darkness Calls. So, pull out your back issues, trades, omnibus, library editions, digitals. Go to your library, use the app, get the stuff, and join us along next time. So, there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, but they didn't know me. Yeah. (laughs) 